Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 62. I'm your host, James Shotwell, and this introduction is probably the 30th that I have recorded today. We almost had the show done this morning, but in the middle of uploading and exporting, the computer crashed. And that never happens. It's actually never happened to us before, but it crashed and we lost all the files. But luckily, we were able to recover the interview and the audio, but not the introduction. So here I am again. It's about 60 degrees in Minneapolis today, and from what I gather, it's nice in a lot of America, and hopefully wherever you are when you hear this, it's also nice. 60 degrees is pretty much summer weather in Minneapolis, so people are out in shorts and tank tops and crop tops. It's wild. I can't wait to get out and enjoy it. Before that, I gotta tell you about what's going on this week on Inside Music. I'm chatting with my pal, Richie Gordon. Now, you might not know that name, and that's perfectly okay, but Richie is a filmmaker who is currently trying to get a web series called Headliners off the ground. And what I mean by that is that he's running a Kickstarter trying to fund the first season of a show that he has created. The story behind Headliners is kind of cool. A few years ago, Richie went to the band Amberlin and said, I want to make a documentary about your group. The band ultimately said no, but the conversations around the project spawned another idea, which became Headliners. The show is set in 2003, and it follows a fictional pop-punk band as they try to make their way to the top of the game. There's also a lot of other characters involved, and Richie's come up with a really cool state-of-the-art digital platform that will help you get to know all of the characters should the show become a reality. The reason I had Richie on the show is because I read about his project and I really believe in what he's trying to do and I wanted to raise awareness. Currently, the show needs $250,000, just a quarter of a million dollars, just to produce the first season. And Richie's here to promote. There's a Kickstarter page where I'll give you the link several times during the show, even though it's escaping my mind right now. And I really hope you're able to give. But even if you're not, I hope you'll listen to the show. Richie is a diehard pop punk fan. He's very knowledgeable about the music industry in general. And we talk about all of that in addition to the show during this podcast. Before we get there, I do need to tell you a couple of quick things. For starters, South by Southwest. I'm headed to Austin next Tuesday through Saturday, and I would love to meet any of you out there who are planning to head down yourselves. I have a panel on Friday from 2 to 3 p.m. at the Austin Convention Center, and I'll be joined by a few former Inside Music guests, including Jenna Pell from Catalyst Publicity and Jacob Tinder from the Bantha Fodder Podcast, as well as Alternative Press. We're going to talk about the future of digital distribution as well as the war on piracy, and it's going to be a great time. So please, if you're in Austin, come hang. Secondly, I need to tell you about our blog. Yes, we have a blog in holixdaily.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X daily.com. If you go there, you can find editorials, advice columns, interviews with industry professionals, and more, all aimed at simplifying the navigation of the modern music industry. We want to help you succeed in the music business, and we've brought together the greatest minds we know to help make that happen. And it's all free, so please check it out. Finally, our sponsor. As with every episode of Inside Music, this show is brought to you by Holix, the internet's leading digital promotional distribution company. What that means is that Holix works with record labels, publicists, managers, and independent artists from all over the world to share unreleased music with members of the press and industry at large without fear of piracy. Should a leak occur, Holix has state-of-the-art tools that can not only help stop the spread of unwanted files online, but also track down the person responsible for the leak. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. If you tell them James sent you, I'll send you a digital high five. Who knows? Maybe I'll even send you some free Holix gear. I would appreciate it. That's what I'm trying to say. Anyways, that's all the announcements I have this week. It's a short introduction, but it's a good conversation. We go not quite an hour, but we get into a lot of it. If you're a fan of pop punk music, or you're interested in how web series work, how television works, how getting something bigger than yourself off the ground works, 
this show is going to have something for you. Before we get there, I'm going to play a little bit of music from one of my favorite albums from 2003, since that is when Headliners and set, and then we'll get to the show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you come back next week, and who knows, maybe we'll even drop an extra episode later this week. Hint, hint, hint. All right, let's get to the conversation. Well, you know, I'm, I'm excited to have you on because yesterday I got the press release from the team at Raby about headliners. I think it was yesterday. Yeah, yeah yesterday. We'll say yesterday. Um, <laughs> that sounds perfect. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so I got it yesterday and it immediately jumped out to me because, you know, with a show like Vinyl on HBO right now, obviously there's a lot of attention to like, you know, the scenes that kind of birth movements in music and headliners seems like that for today's generation, more or less. Is that accurate? Yeah, and it's it's funny because when we first thought of the idea, vinyl was still kind of in its rumor stage of everything. I mean, this was two years ago, and you know, I read something kind of in a dark underbelly of the film community that there was this Martin Scorsese thing happening on HBO, and we were kind of like, all right, that's in, that's in, that's intriguing. It's kind of funny that we both have thought of this idea and written scripts at the same time. Um, obviously, yes, vinyl is now alive and well on HBO, but what kind of gets us excited about headliners and one of the terms that throws around that I think is cool is a lot of people call that genre of music in the early 2000s, the modern classics. And I know baby boomers and some older generations scoff at that term, but if you define a classic, it's the music that really defined a generation. And to me, you know, that punk rock kind of early, early 2000, late 90s music was the soundtrack to every millennial's first kiss, you know, friendships, uh, you know, driving on a summer road, you know, everything kind of thing. And so while a bold term, I, I definitely don't find it inaccurate, if that makes sense. No, no, that does. Well, let's let's take it back to the beginning. So what is the inception point? I know the story. I talked to Ray. I know it's on the Kickstarter page. You call Amberlin trying to make a film. Let's let's start there. So yeah, for sure. what was so, the idea that you called Amberlin with? <laughs> so my background is I've been doing some short internet promo videos for companies like GoPro, Reebok, um, and a bunch of other, you know, big names, small names, startups, everything in between. My passion project between there was always to go get after bands and help them with their digital video presence. So saw that Amberlynn um, was doing a tour and had just seen him at Warp Tour, just bring it with the energy and stuff like that. And then thought this would be an amazing little short video. Didn't know that that was their final tour as their farewell. So I called their manager and said, you know, Hey, did the introduction want to, you know, want to, want to help you guys with a video. Um, well, what what ended up happening from that conversation was kind of a two hour conversation about the music industry, the kind of highs and lows of punk rock, where Amberlynn had come and gone in the last decade, basically of their career. And a lot of kind of the interesting mis, uh, not miscommunications, but miss, you know, what, what audiences perceive versus what the realities were of the industry. 
And what I found was a manager telling me a lot of the highs and lows of what myself and a lot of friends were dealing with. But in this world that I probably romanticized, and I think a lot of my friends did, of, you know, the rock and roll punk rock industry that had created all these soundtracks of our life. And so it started sparking with this quote that Kyle said that even a tour bus can turn into a cubicle after so many years on the road. And that really kind of stuck with me for a while. Well, like how could a romantic tour bus become just as shitty as a cubicle? Definitely. Definitely. And so and from there, this idea was born. Yeah. From there, this idea of kind of looking at the punk rock industry, specifically kind of with the music of our childhood, my childhood, you know, me being a product of, you know, the 1989, being born in 1989 and being a millennial myself, it really got me into the idea of, you know, looking at these bands that we grew up listening to, they were late 20s, early 30s. Uh, I guess some were even early 20s, mid 20s, you know, when they were making this music. So they were dealing with a lot of the triumphs, tragedies that the millennials are currently dealing with now, now that we've grown up after 10 years. And so it really got this interesting idea of if you dive into this world and you kind of look at what they were going through at the time, it really relates to now the generation that is dealing with those same problems. And it kind of got us thinking about what stories could be told by taking the lens of a fictitious record label owner, a fictitious band, and then also looking at some of these other fictitious characters that are maybe at later stages in their career and diving, in, diving into the world that way to show to millennials this generation of music you're so familiar with that defined your childhood. Funny enough, these guys actually are more relatable than you would expect. Specifically, they were dealing with a lot of the same issues that you're currently dealing with now, and it's going to be set in a world that you are familiar with. You know, the O3 world you know. You know that Facebook and MySpace are coming down the pipeline. YouTube's going to set the tone in 06. And then you've got this big recession coming in 08 that shutters everything down. And to us, that was just such a fascinating, you know, time period to jump back into that I think often gets overlooked or not appreciated as much as the golden age of music in the 70s, 80s, and when, you know, vinyl basically takes place, as you mentioned earlier. So for people who haven't yet heard of the Kickstarter or anything like that, what is your like very basic pitch for what the show is? So our very basic, our very basic pitch of what the show is to us is it's a show about pop punk growing up and never giving up. But more importantly, you know, than just saying we're making a TV show that we're going to pitch to Amazon and Netflix, it's delivering that TV show where the millennials and the younger generations are, which is online through social media and through all the channels that you go to every day to find media. So for us, it's a show that takes place in that world that everyone's familiar with. And it's delivered in the most accessible way, which is online where you guys already are already. That's kind of our highbrow pitch to get people intrigued with what we're doing. So what led you to join Kickstarter? I mean, obviously you need money to make a show like this, but since the idea spawns like almost two years ago at this point, like what was the lead up to Kickstarter? Did you try to find funding another way first? How did you end up here? Of course. So we actually do have some funding from some accredited investors. Um, And I did the whole, you know, VC dog and pony show uh, 
probably June of last year till about September until we got verbal commitment to close. What we're trying to do from a lot of people's perspective is ambitious and also exciting with not only trying to create a TV show about pop, pop punk and that world of 2003, but also trying to build a platform that really makes it accessible to where millennials and the younger generations are, which is one that's online and one that plays out more like a social media platform than it does like your traditional linear video platform. And so when we kind of initially took it to investors, the biggest question that get, kept getting popped up, and this was no surprise to us because they were older generations, was proof to us that people still care that pop punk exists, or as cliche as it sounds, prove that punk rock isn't dead yet. And so the reason we went after Kickstarter was it allows for that grassroots kind of you know pitch of telling people, this is what we're trying to do, this is what we've done, We've got the band support. We've got a little bit of money to do this right. But what we really need is the proof that people want this in order to, you know, get the additional funding that we would maybe need or to really grow this thing into not just a show about punk rock, but the long-term play of, you know, a, a network of TV that's designed for millennials and delivered and accessible to millennials where they already are, which is online on their mobile phones and giving them that content every day um, instead of it being, you know, 12 episodes and that's it for the year. Yeah, I really like this idea, and I hope you can expand on it for people listening. So, you know, there's the basic episodes, but then there's going to be a side component where you can kind of get a little bit more personal with each of the characters. Am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, the goal the goal of where we get excited of how to tell this story, you know, there's there's two sides of the coin, right? There's what is the story, and how you tell it. And the what is kind of what we've gotten into. It's the punk rock. It's the 2003. It's that world of music that really talks about, you know, summer loves, you know, what it's like to be weird and awkward in a teenager, what it's like to, you know, feel, feel alone, feel isolated, deal with those struggles. Now, the how you tell a story is just as important because you might have the greatest story that appeals to millennials, but they don't go to the channel, you know, that, airs it kind of thing. And so what we looked at was Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, all these channels have set this new tone of daily content. And it's content that really you get to choose how you want to see it. You know, it's not like Facebook tells you, all right, here's your first friend you have to watch. And then once you look at their newsfeed, you can go to the next friend. Yet that's obviously what we've seen with traditional Hollywood formats. Um, and so what we got intrigued with was all right, let's say you're in a story world. You know, people love, love the stories that they, they obsess about. And they become, you know, almost compulsive and obsessive where they don't want to get out of this fictional world. So we looked at it as how could you create almost a social media-like experience that it allowed people to dive into that fictional world and allow them to basically find a character they like and see all the stories linked to them. You know, not just videos, but Instagram posts, tweets, everything in between, or maybe there's a story that really hits home with them, such as, you know, a character is dealing with moving away from home and, you know, their father is really supportive, but their mother is a little bit, you know, controlling. It becomes one of the situations of then the audience goes, I can relate to that. How does this character deal with this issue? And then we serve up those stories to go, here's every conflict backstory or new character component that links to that. And it really 
to us is what we see the future of TV being that it becomes a situation where you get to dive into the world through the lens you want to. And while it's still kind of a passive viewing experience in that once you click play, a video starts going and the content serves up to you, it's more active in the way that people have gotten used to with the social media experience of wanting the choice of what they're engaged with and what they want to watch versus, you know, us giving you a very narrow lens and saying that's, that's all you get to see the world through. And once it's over, it's over. It almost encourages people to play in the sandbox and really have fun in our world. And then it really allows the world to feel more like real life and like a fictional story. And to me, that's the beauty and the power of storytelling. No, I couldn't agree more. You know, I like it because I'm I'm a big guy about characters is what I look for most in a story. So something like this excites me because there are so many shows where you see it and you have a favorite character and you catch yourself not thinking necessarily like what's going on plot to plot, but you kind of start to wonder like, what does that person do when they're not on camera? Like, who are they as a person? Even though they're fictional, you kind of start to create their world in your own mind. And it seems like you're kind of helping the audience do that this way. Yeah, exa- exactly. And I think you see it, you know, fan fiction and, you know, even PR people do this to a little degree. You know, it really becomes, we tell stories in every walk of life and it happens so subconsciously that I think we sometimes even take for granted how stories are told in the modern world with these tools like the internet, like social media, like, you know, phone conversations, everything that we have accessibility to. And what excites me with what no one's kind of, risen to the challenge of trying with a fictional world and where, you know, our team of four misfits is really going after this and ironically choosing, you know, an industry that was born from a bunch of misfits making music that, you know, kind of changed the world and become the soundtrack of a generation is making that story told out through a lens and a platform that allows you, the audience, to choose what interests you and really encourages that creativity and that almost playful feeling of go get lost in our world. And we're just going to give you a new piece of content every day to go get lost in to the point where, I mean, we always joke, let's end show withdrawal and let's end the, you know, the binge that, that low that comes after you binge watch the favorite show and then it's over and you're left kind of going, well, what now? What are the difficulties that have kind of arisen in trying to recreate 2003? Um, as far as recreating 2003, you know, you, you naturally get those, those people who, you know, want to pretend they're grown up. They want to pretend that, uh, you know, it's no longer, that was so 10 years ago and it's over, you know, it's over now. I think that, um, What's also intriguing with 2003 and what, what's been challenging as we've been delving into it is you kind of have a, you know, you forget that there has been a little bit of a change of the pop punk sound now. You know, one of our band partners, State Champs, who's connected with this project, obviously wasn't around in 2003. They were our age. They were young. They were listening to the Blinks, the Good Charlotte, um, and all of those guys. So it, it's reminding people what about the music was so intriguing to them and why it hits so hard and so close to home. But also, you know, with any, I feel like when you go back in time with any genre, there's obviously those aspects of the genre or of the decade that people have quote moved on, you know, they've, they've moved on past it or they've grown up out of it or they no longer, yeah, that was then, but this is now kind of situation. And so 
you know, I feel like what's been interesting with us is to see what nostalgic elements really could hit close to home. But, you know, it hasn't with all people been, I feel like we're 2003 nerds. You know, some people you think are going to be really excited about certain things and they're not as excited about those things as you, you hope, but then you eventually, you know, talk about a song, talk about a feeling, talk about something else. And that kind of brings it, brings it back for them as something that really hits close to home, connects with the personal experience they had and, and gets them kind of excited about what you're doing. Oh, definitely. And I, I want to talk about those bands. It's, it's kind of a nice coincidence. Uh, two weeks ago, the episode that we ran of this show, The Rocket Summer, was our guest. And this week's guest is The Word Alive. And both those bands are working with you on this show. So let's talk about that a bit. Like, when did you start approaching artists? I mean, obviously, that Amberlin conversation kind of kickstarted things. But like, when did you start approaching artists? And like, how are they involved? Like, what is the component of those bands within the context of the show? So we started approaching bands. It was actually about this time last year. So the goal with us was, you know, fantastic. You write a great screenplay and, you know, it's, it's, it's starting to get momentum. But to me, the most important thing and to our screenwriter, Kim Fortson, the most important thing was ignore the producers, ignore the guys with money. If the bands do not agree with this story, then we've not done our jobs right. And so a little, a little bit of, uh, you know, I, our, our writer, Kim, is a perfectionist. She's an amazing writer. But uh, funny enough, kind of didn't want me to share the script as early as I did. And I, behind her back, started forwarding it to some of the managers I knew and some of the other managers that I just bluntly cold called um, and said, here's what we're doing. Here's our script. Here's our product. And immediately started getting positive feedback and got, you know, Ryan Key of Yellow Card Attack. As you mentioned, by Savior of the Rocket Summer. Um, we got Christian of Amberlynn, obviously, because of our conversation with Kyle. Um, a hometown hero band, you know, Luke of Stroke Nine. And then Austin and Caleb of Forever the Sickest Kids came on. And our initial goal was just, can we get you guys to help bring this world to life through writing original songs? And more importantly to us, it was also giving them a little stake of the pie, where they're actually all equity partners in the company as well, you know, that allows us to say not only do these bands like the script, not only are they helping us bring it to life through through their songs, but they also reap the rewards of not only this show, but all our long-term strategy. And then we went to, you know, some of the money guys and started all that thing. It was actually about a month ago that we kind of sat back and realized, I love all these bands we've got attached. The reality is we haven't really paid homage to, you know, the next evolution of the bands that are doing it today and keeping that genre alive. And that was when we started racking our heads and going, all right, who are the bands that really kind of, you know, are, are doing the pop punk genre right and, and actively getting asked to be on war tour, actively getting asked to be on these other tours. And that's when we really, you know, looked at the state champs in the world alive as, partners that we could bring on and since they're more active asking them to actually participate in our kickstarter by offering a prize package that would allow them to come to someone's backyard or living room and play a private acoustic show for them and so it was really exciting for us to not only hear their positive excitement but also you know seeing them take a more active role of not only not only you know becoming equity partners in our company but also going listen we want to help this come so much to life and really bring the show, you know, into the market 
that we're willing to go beyond that and offer, you know, ourselves as a prize that our fans can enjoy and, and make this experience become more personal than just simply something they see online on social media. And have, do you already have at least some of these things or some of these original songs already recorded? I know that one of the awards is a digital copy of like the soundtrack for season one. Yes. So we've got three original singles that are dropping in the coming weeks. We've got one from Christian called Moving On that dropped yesterday that I'm very excited about. It's a very high energy, high octane, kind of big drums, that big sound that you're used to with the Amberlin guys. Um, and Christian just nailed it out of the park of kind of delivering a song that was an anthem. You know, our, our motivation for it was give us a 2003 anthem that really is like a, a, a war call to, you know, the teenagers of that time. And then the other two songs that we have coming out are songs that were written by Austin and Caleb of Forever the Sickest Kids, but we try to make it sound like what we want our hero band to sound like. And so actually had them work with a female female artist to have female vocals be the lead uh, in order to, as I said, try something a little different than what people will be used to with the Forever the Sickest Kid sound. And the two, genre, the two inspirations for that was one of the songs is as if the band wrote it back in 2005, and the other one was as if the band had been on tour, done all these things over the last 13 years, and was writing a song kind of reflecting on all of that. So it was pulling sounds and influences from 03, but aware that these guys have become older, they're appealing to a 2016 audience and trying to make a punk rock song that would fit in today's top 40 radio. And to me, that song is one of the coolest sounding songs I've heard in a while that releases uh, next week called Back from the Underground. And it just is a really cool sound of, kind of the elements of traditional pop punk that people will be used to, but with a little more of kind of the uh, walk the moon, um, hazy elephant sound that's, you know, all over the radios and kind of what indie rock is today. Awesome. I don't even think we covered this, but I know that the show obviously follows a young band. What is, what is their name? So right, right now, uh, the name is, I'm like, I'm totally blanking out. We've had like, We've had 12 different names come and go. I and figured as, that was the case. Game, but I'm like, as, as, as it goes with copyright issues and stuff, you know, you, 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 try to, you try to brainstorm on a punk rock band and you think of, okay, what's something that a teenage kid would think was really witty or funny that's, you know, either an adjective with a random noun or like, you know, just a total, you know, just a total uh, play on words or any of that stuff. And, you, you know, you fall in love with that band name. Then you realize that, oh my God, this is actually a real band name. We cannot use that band kind of thing. And I know a lot of the guys from Silicon Valley dealt with that as, as well. I believe, and I'm going to need to cross-check this with you, the name as of right now that we stuck with is Emerald Skyline. Um, but as I said, I've, I think we've had every draft, we've had to change our serial band name because right when we think we've nailed the perfect one that no band would ever call themselves but still would feel real, we learned that there was some real band that owns the copyright to that random name that we literally came up with by sticking two words together. So it's been very entertaining to try to name fictional bands and learn that there's a lot of those, a lot of those names out there that you would not expect. Oh, definitely. A lot of noun, the verb type bands. 
noun verbs, everything in between. I mean, <laughs> it, it's almost humor. It's almost humorous after a while. How many bands are out there that honestly have been smart enough even to copyright their names and do all that stuff? Well, I, well, I mean, I'm, I like the name that you've settled on, so there's a chance it's probably taken. <laughs> but. You never know. You never know, right? And, <laughs> exactly. you know, some of our other band names have been like Summits of Sound. You know, you just you just get a lot of those things. And then, as I said, you learn, you learn very quickly, oh, somebody else came up with that brilliant idea as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So six episodes, you're looking to raise $250,000. Now, how does that kind of break down in terms of cost? How much of that goes to this platform you're building? How much of that goes into actual producing of the episodes? How, what's the cash breakdown there? So, so the thing from the donation standpoint that is unique with our Kickstarter versus traditional Kickstarters is the, the amount of money was actually dictated less about what we would need um, to make this happen. We actually need a little more than a quarter of a million dollars, but... Because, as I mentioned earlier in the show, we have some of these accredited investors who have been circling this and are very interested in this and even have the brilliant minds from JH Partners connected with this company. It's, it's more about showing that there's audience support for it. So our biggest goal is to show that there's numbers of volume of people that want this show and want content delivered this way. And that to us is the more important thing with raising the quarter of a million dollars. And the quarter of a million came from the idea that we looked at, you know, we, we, we hope that people are willing to, you know, give eventually a four ninety nine, three ninety nine price tag per month for the show, knowing that they're getting new content every day, knowing that this is, you know, something that's not, not just a traditional TV show where it's an hour a week and that's the end of it. It's much more than that. And so we looked at, all right, if we can get a Kickstarter community or a group of people to just give us 10 to $20, that's it. You know, how do we, how do we get 10 to 20,000 people on board this that from an investor level, it's going to give them the peace of mind that, all right, as a baby boomer, I get that these, you know, millennials want this and thereby can, I, I, I can help these guys, you know, this team of four bring this world to life. So the breakdown of the shows and where our ambitions is, is we want this to still feel and look like stuff that people are used to from a major network. But what's been really exciting with working with the creative people I've met that are millennials and younger is that we've all grown up learning how to make really cool things that are targeted toward a digital audience. And with that, you're allowed to do things, you know, you're allowed to, do different things that can bring production prices down, but yet still makes the quality of the video as good, if not better in certain ways than what you get on a major network. And so to us, what's exciting with this price tag is we're able to actually make really good content for a lot less than the major networks. And then more importantly, have an amazing technology guy, Austin, and um, you know, his team of two guys that can program and just, make this the most beautiful, seamless, interactive platform that, I mean, not, not to sit on horse, but I think that the world has not seen yet. And what I think is the future of media watching and consumption for our show and hopefully the other shows that we want to bring to life as well. No, I follow, I follow. So do you think, I mean, how you, how are you feeling so far? I mean, the campaign's still pretty new. You're, you're at $10,000 already. You feeling good about the future of the campaign? Feel like you're off to the right start? 
I mean, what's exciting to me and where I get really excited with this is we're really doing this, I feel right. You know, we've got our partnerships with Warped Tour, Alternative Press, Prey Magazine. As you mentioned earlier, we have these bands connected to the show. We're doing these partnerships with these emo nights that are popping up all over the country. So we've got a show that we did in L.A. two nights ago. We've got one coming up in San Francisco on the 15th. We're going to the So What Music Festival in Dallas and doing an emo night there, as well as sponsoring the show that's headlined by Newfound Glory. State Champs, The Word Alive are playing in it as well. And then we've got some of these other, you know, small, you know, grassroots stuff happening as well. So what's really exciting for me is, you know, and where I feel really good about what we've done is I don't know what we could have done more to really get the word out there about the show, but more importantly, to do it the way that it needs to be done in that, you know, you're not trying to do this without the major names of the, of the genre attached. You're not trying to do it to, you know, sell a high drama story that the bands are going to watch and go, this is bullshit. No one would do this. This is so not like anything we've gone through. You know, what's exciting to me is we've gotten the validation from the bands, the big brand names, you know, the passionate event coordinators that are bringing these Emonites back to life. And then obviously, you know, our own internal team of four misfits. And it's, it's been a really fun to kind of watch this come to life and do it the right way. And to us, that was the most important thing in this whole process and why I'm feeling pretty good that, you know, we're getting the word out there. We're starting to see traction and, you know, I, I truly believe that this is a genre of music, as you said earlier, that is the soundtrack of so many generations' lives and something that we wanted to pay homage to, but more importantly, pay homage to the right way and do it the way it needs to be told. I completely agree, man. I, I hope that this happens because, you know, for me, being somebody, probably we're probably about the same age. I'm 28. How old are you? Just turned 27 about three weeks ago. So yeah, ago. so we're basically so, the uh, we same. We are about the same age. So we, we came up at the same time. So it is exciting to see this age already kind of being celebrated because in my mind, it does in many ways feel like another, I don't know, like another world because of how much the internet has changed things so quickly. Like 2003 really does feel like another age because the way bands promoted themselves, the way you learned about bands, the amount of attention people paid at shows, everything was different. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, now I gotta ask you a question because I love that we are of the same age. My question to you is, uh, and it's a two-part question. One, what are the favorite bands that you remember from that generation? And two, uh, what were your songs that kind of defined your, you know, your high school years, your coming of age years? That, you know, if I turn this on to the radio, you're gonna put my hand away and go, let's just let this song play out and sing along to the lyrics. <laughs> Oh man, 2003 specifically would be hard to pinpoint, but for me, the early 2000s were really defined by a mix of two things, the tooth and nail solid state world, and then the victory records kind of rise to popularity. So the early, the tell all your friends and full collapse and all of that, but then on the other side of the coin, bands like Ace Troubleshooter, Goaty Hook, Norma Jean, all and like kind of that alternative Christian movement at the same time because that's kind of where my background is with my family and stuff super religious so that's kind of where it started and then you know the victory world kind of showed up <laughs> and I was nice. carried, I was carried away in kind of that whole emo movement as we all were I still I still have conversations with my fiance about like the days when girls jeans were like just a thing that guys wore because skinny jeans weren't a thing yet I, and I also love one of the most fun things to be going back in time in this process that I encourage 
all the fans of this show and anyone else listening to look at is it's also been fun to look at pop punk um, styles of then and now. You know, back in the day, you had more of, as you said, the Tai Chi, bleached hair, color hair was a big thing. Like, really doing a lot with your hair was a big thing versus now, you know, you look at bands like Full Year Strong, even our, our friends at Say Champs, all these guys, you know, it's a little more laid back and it's a little less, you know, it, it, you know, it's a little more casual and more relatable. It's not like pop, you know, it's not like kind of the rock star versus the normal person. And I think you also get a reflection of, you know, a lot more people in this day and age have, you know, big beards. They have, you know, baggy clothes. I mean, I'm talking from San Francisco where flannels always been cool, but it's also been funny to look at those things that I think you forget were so normal. And so early 2090s that now people would block you out of a room if you shut up wearing. Oh yeah, definitely. A hundred percent. Actually, when I was watching the, uh, it was so strange. I was watching the Kickstarter video today and you definitely kind of nailed like the look and feel of a club back then, because when you watch that introduction, you know, there isn't like a, there isn't a ton of glow from a bunch of cell phones or anything. It's like this dark rock club and the, the, every, the only lights that you see are colored lights. So everyone's a little yellow or a little pink. And I was like, this is what I think of when I think of like those, my first concert experiences in that very impressionable age. You know what I mean? I was like, this is, this is what it, this is what it's supposed to look like. So, you know, you're on the I appreciate, I mean, I appreciate, I appreciate that. Obviously we do our best to make it come to life. It's very fun to hear somebody else, you know, get kind of the artistic decisions we made to make it come to life. So I appreciate that. Um, now let me ask you this one, one kind of fun thing I was curious about the design for this Bluetooth speakers and anyone listening, if you give enough money, you can get a really cool looking Bluetooth speaker and the headliners logo. It looks a lot like the skip school start fights font from hit the lights. Is that intentional? So I, it's funny you say that because one of the initial designs of our logo, um, the, the designer used like yellow and blue as well. And I was, I was, like, all right, you, you got to go. We got to go off the Hit the Lights logo. It, you know, I don't get me wrong. Fantastic record. That was the soundtrack. I think that record came out in 09, I want to say, 08, 09. And I was obsessed with every song on that record. And the Hit the Light guys are fantastic with the music they've done back in the day and now. But no, more of the colors we actually chose were to pay homage to 2003's Blink-182 self-titled record. Um, which is why we went with the baby blue and the bright pink. And that was really what we wanted to pay homage to with those colors. So you, yeah, I'm like, and, and if uh, I encourage the listeners that they want a fun tangent from work, uh, if you Google band logos back in the early 2000s, pink was the thing. I don't know why, but it's every true. band and their, and their spinoff used pink in their logo for like four years. It was very, so that, that was us trying to, you know, we found some design elements. We're like, well, I guess we have to use paint in our logo. Yeah, the splatter look was in. The spotter look was it. Put paint on everything. That was the moral of the story. Yeah, that, I mean, and it nails it. It's so similar to the hit the lights thing that when I saw it, I didn't even, I, I didn't, I wasn't like taken back by it. I was like, well, that makes sense. They're just more pop punk stuff because yeah, yeah, that's about the right time for the band to start coming up. So okay, that clears that up for me then. Well, I'm glad that well, you agree. Like, well, and, as you, and as you said, the hit the lights right. You know, we say 2003 is where our story begins, but just to make this really clear, we're starting in 2003, and the reason why we're starting in 2003. And this has just been us nerding out on Wikipedia, but what most people don't know is in 2003, 
Great America came out in the summertime, I want to say, and that transitioned the movement from one that was very aggressive and very male-dominated with the Sun 41, the Blinks, the Good Charlotte, the Green Day, and that kind of sound of music to what eventually became like emo pop punk, it was called, which was the starting lines, the Jimmy E. Worlds, the yellow cards, the, you know, hit the lights, the, the transition of what they called the drive-through record age to more of the field by ramen era that, you know, has, has kind of evolved into where I feel like pop punk is even now. And so what's exciting for us is the reason we started in 03 is that's the height of this music. It's all over the top 40 radio stations and it's, and it's about to get kind of rocked on its head because, as you mentioned earlier, the Internet, you know, is really coming into its own. Napster is coming gone, but 04 is the launch of MySpace, 05 is the beginning of Facebook, and 06 is the start of YouTube. And as you said, that changes everything in the game as far as how do you get your band out there? How do you market it? All of a sudden, you know, bands are going to start getting discovered just by uploading a MySpace single, and I, I use the example of our guys, Forever the Sickest Kids, you know, buying an ad, not even having a single, and then that being the thing that gets them the, you know, the showcase, they get them signed by Universal, and that launches their career. And then, you know, the crazy thing is in 08, you have the recession that totally kind of pushes the genre back, back down. It almost sends Warp Tour, you know, out of business. There's a lot of interesting things that come out in a four-year span from 03 to 08. And so while we say we're taking you back to 03, the thing I want to make clear is we're starting in 03, but what's exciting is we're moving forward beyond then to, you know, the modern day. And there's just a lot of really cool things that I think people forget happened in a four-year span that not only define the generation of music there, but actually has affected our lives today. Definitely. Definitely. Well, I like that broad approach. I think it, I think that paints a more honest portrait of what happened, I guess you would say. Yeah. And, and that's, and that's, you know, that's what gets us so excited about, as you said, you know, going back to the time when millennials were 12 and 13 and we were coming of age, we had no idea all this stuff was happening that would, you know, fundamentally change the world forever. No, definitely. You know, I've, I've always thought that I think the drive through record story will probably make a really good documentary eventually. <laughs> I'm like, hey, you know what? It's something that has uh, definitely been, you know, put on the back burner in our, in our heads as well as far as, you know, things to relate into as well. Because as you said, it is a very fascinating story. The whole, you know, some of these record labels that are no longer, with, you know, with us or as prevalent as they were then. You know, it's all, it, there's so many great stories in this genre, and that's why we wanted to just dive into this world, especially because it's one so many people at one point dipped into and had no idea, you know, all the moving parts that were occurring. Definitely, and there's also this changing of the tides, and uh, we get into this on this this show a lot because I, I tend to interview people who were around at this time who would remember it as well. But uh, you know, it was this time where that early tooth and nail, early late '90s pop punk movement kind of helped usher in this age. But around 2003, it does start to pivot because some of those bands from the late '90s didn't know how to adapt to the change and we and there is like a changing of the tides right around 2003 where it's like the bands that you know brought the scene into the public spotlight kind of take a slight back burner to these young newcomers who can kind of navigate these fast rising digital waters a lot faster than the bands that maybe inspired them to start their band for sure and i think what's even like kind of frustrating to a lot of these bands is like even you know setting yourself up on a platform you look at a lot of these bands that built huge followings on myspace 
Well, what happens when you're following an audience that goes to Facebook? You know, all of a sudden that's worthless when, you know, even just from the time, as you said, from going from non-digital to digital, it's amazing that when it goes to Facebook, that screws over a lot of bands as well. You know, it's, it's such a fascinating thing. And I think we're even seeing it a little bit now with, you know, bands all of a sudden getting, you know, what, what YouTube ended up being almost after Facebook. You know, it, it becomes this weird paradigm where platforms can make artists, but that same platform that made you can ultimately destroy you if you don't keep evolving. And I think that's kind of really fascinating and something new that's happened really in the last decade. Yeah, I mean, in a way, I think the the idea, like, what fascinates me about headlines is it does capture that that point where we kind of, the old way that the industry works starts to die, and the new way starts to be born, and these bands are kind of on the precipice of the next generation of music, and no one really knows what to do for a few years, and then the ones that rise to the top are the ones that kind of learn a little faster than the other. But there is it is messy for a few years. Exactly. And I think what's even more exciting is it's messy. And what we all know now that we've gone through it is not only is it messy in the sense that people, you know, figure it out, but we all know what's lurking. You know, I say the 08 recession. I mean, that was that's a big deal that's lurking only four or five years away from this time period. And I think that, you know, being an audience today looking back, it's a really interesting kind of big, big thing that happened in our culture that, you know, they always talk about no matter how well you plan for certain things, there can be, you know, these big world events that systematically shut things down, whether you like it or not. And I think, as you said, it's these murky waters, bands finally get on their their feet, you know, 06, 07, 08, you know, kind of beginning starts to look really great. And then all of a sudden, you know, end of 08 or like summer end of 08, things really just go, you know, sour really quickly. And then 2009-2010 is really dark in this industry as far as just kind of, you know, a lot of these people being fundamentally rocked and a lot of bands disappearing and just a lot of bad things happening, man. Definitely, definitely. I, I, I think of the 8, 9, 10 basically as being the years where, especially pop punk specific and pop rock, really takes a backseat to the heavier side of the genre, kind of becomes the preeminent like alternative sound for a few years. And then pop punk kind of gets its legging again in like 2010, 2011. But there's a few years there where it's definitely like maybe the heavier sound is going to be the sound of the future because for whatever reason, like Ferret Records was really rocking it there for a while and the other pop punk records just couldn't keep up for some reason. No, you're absolutely, and you're absolutely right. And what's even cool to us and a fun stat to throw out there is, you know, you go from this time period where, you know, I know the guys at Warped Tour, you know, worried they're going to have to, I don't want to say go out of business, but you know, is this the end of the ages of, you know, people going to these shows and stuff? Well, funny enough, I read somewhere that, 14 was the largest Warp Tour attendance ever. And we're talking like ever. So like 90s, early 2000s, you look at those dream lineups, 2014 was the largest attendance like period for that tour. So that's the light at the end of the tunnel that we've now seen, which again is even more fascinating to me with this whole world. Like it goes from the darkest, you know, as you said, maybe the heavier music's going to pick up, maybe the genre's dead, to all of a sudden three years later, You've got your largest attendance ever, which means the younger generation caught onto it and it's becoming something that's appealing to a whole new generation of people. And to us, that's something you have to pay respect to. And I think honest to mainstream Hollywood is just not paying attention to 
And that's why we all honestly felt empowered to go do something about it and bring this story to life. Definitely. And I think your timing is really perfect because I, I literally, our, our Holix account actually tweeted this not long ago, but there, I, I really feel that this year specifically, 2015 to 2016, especially with all the bands that have recently been kind of calling it quits, fireworks went away, a lost for words, transit, like you can feel that we're getting to a new generational changing of the tides in terms of like the, you know, the dominant pop punk bands and like the bands that are considered the leaders, like our generation, your and I's generation are kind of starting to really fade away or quit altogether. And there's this new crop of bands that are now the dominant force. And I think it's kind of cool that at this exact same point, you're kind of grabbing everyone's attention and being like, well, let's remember where you came from because like it took a lot to get to this point. So if you're going to, you know, if someone else is going to take the reins, they need to understand like how we got here. Exactly. And what's even been exciting with looking at some of, you know, the metrics of who's showing up has been how many people, you know, 18 to 20 are showing up. And that's been almost our majority audience, which has been really fascinating to us because you go, okay, 18 to 20, 2000, 2003, you know, that's 13 years ago. So you're 18, that puts you at five. You know, all of a sudden exactly. you realize, wait, that was my age when, you know, Nirvana was, you know, we, it's when we were like the Nirvanas were going on and, you know, stuff like that was happening where, you know, I look back like, oh man, if I was just three years older, it would have been fun to actually cognitively remember that. And I think these kids are looking at it going, oh man, this is like, I miss this state of cognitively remembering this, but I remember the 07, 08 era. And that's what's really exciting to me is it not only appeals to a millennial audience, but we almost get to bridge the gap to the next audience who, you know, is the future of this genre and are the bands that are making this genre mature and grow and stay relevant today definitely and you know you do have kind of the uh the perk of being the first group to really try to tackle it in this manner you know what i mean like it's it's ripe for storytelling and no one is telling the stories yet yeah i'm like and that can sometimes you know that's the most risky thing sometimes the most scary thing it can obviously be sometimes the first person in the water you know it, it you know learns all the mistakes and the second player takes over or as you said what we're hoping to bring to life is that, you know, we are the ones that are willing to put our necks up there. You know, I've, t I've taken a pay cut for two years to bring this world to life and been fully invested in this. You know, two of our other partners are working, you know, double jobs to bring this world to life. And, you know, our marketing guy has been full time at this since November of last year. So, you know, we, we really, we really are passionate about this thing. And I think the biggest thing I would tell your audience is, you know, we, we need, we need the help to bring it bring it to life in the sense that, you know, we got 34 days to prove to investors and all the, all the people out there that this is not just a fad and this is something that we can make, make happen and that people want. And we need people to, you know, go over to kick. We really need people to go over to Kickstarter and give 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever they can do and get those numbers high so that we can make this become a reality. Cause if we don't get those numbers, you know, the reality is we have to fold up shop and maybe go find that, real world job which none of us want to do yeah and i mean none of us got into this industry to have to do that <laughs> no no and i mean i think the other thing as i said is like you know i said earlier i don't know how we could have done this right and you know we've all this hasn't been a side project for half of us this is something we've been doing full time because that's how much we believe in this and that's how much we want to make sure it's not only we believe in it that much, but more importantly, that's the amount of time required to do this right, and we weren't going to do this half-assed. We owe it to everyone, and we owe it to all the fans of Pop Punk to give it the 150% and to really make this show the way it should be told and not 
you know, disrespect the genre, disrespect the band, and disrespect all those people that made it what it is today. And that's, I think, I think paying homage to the legacy of people that did that by doing it right, to me, was the most important thing if we were going to tell the story. And that's something that I feel very confident we've done over the last two years. And hope we get the chance to continue to do as we bring this world to life through season one, two, three, four, and forever, if, if audiences want it. Definitely. Well, let's, uh, let's, you know, we don't want to run too long. So let's, let's go ahead and give people all the relevant information they need to know. Give me like Kickstarter, if there's a Twitter, if there's a website, just run through it all. Of course. The biggest thing is, you know, go, go to our Kickstarter page. It's under headliners. Um, I'm assuming you'll have a link at the bottom of this podcast. They can click on. If they want to find out more, we've got some awesome singles, as I mentioned, uh, videos launching, all that stuff. Our handles are Headliners TV. So Facebook.com slash Headliners TV, Instagram.com slash Headliners TV. Um, Twitter's the only one that's Headliners Show. And then beyond that, they can also go to HeadlinersTV.com and check out, you know, our Kickstarter video and sign up for our, our email updates and get updated as we drop all these singles drop all our videos and yeah, continue to hustle and bring the world alive for the next 30 days. Well, I wish you the best of luck, man. We are rooting for you here at Holics and I, I want to see, you know, my, my teen years brought to life in a fictional form. So I'm all, I'm all for it. And I hope, I hope it works out for you. Thank you for taking the time to talk to me about it. Of course. And I'm like, you know what? We'll have to probably get your cameo. That's what we'll work on. Exactly. If this comes to life, that's the next step. There you go. There you go. I mean, I probably can't wear the same size girls jeans I did then, but you know, I could try. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll try to fit you in. We'll see what we can do. <laughs> All right, man. Uh, let's see. Is there anything else? Well, you know, we haven't actually talked about music beyond the bands that'll be on the show. So do you have a music plug? Someone, someone should be listening to if they're listening to the show, looking for a new music recommendation. So listening to music recommendations, uh, let's go, let's go more. I mean, not, not to, the reason we went after these guys, I think State Champ's new record around the world is, uh, let me admit, let me, give me two seconds to confirm I'm saying the right thing. I know the, I know the logo, but that to me is the most, I'm going to start over if you give me two seconds. You're fine. You're fine. I'm like, let me just make sure. I want to make sure I like give the right, uh, give the right, um, Music record around the world of that. All right, I'll start over. No, I mean music record, music record, music recommendation. I think State Champs around the world and back. I've listened to that record, no joke, twenty-two times, start to finish. It is, it is so solid all the way through. Uh, to be frank, it's the reason we call them to get them attached. I uh, probably am a little overly, overly, you know, romanticized by the big, sexy social media million fans or, you know, million followers or whatever. And while these guys continue to hustle and grow that following and are only in their sophomore record, I, I firmly believe that their record around the world and back is, I mean, I would, I would put it up there as one of the best records I've heard in the last decade, even, even with those bands in 04, 05, 06, 07, just because, it's so deep all the way through. Um, Music-wise, honestly, if you're going back in time, got to give it the Blink-182 self-titled record. I, I've been obsessed with feeling this all over again in 2016. It's a fantastic song. Um, and then, I mean, God, like just going through the playlist, I mean, the starting line, uh, Fall Out Boy, uh, I'm trying to think of like the other, like more romantic, deeper cuts that, that show that I'm not just, the top 40 pop punk listeners. But, um, I mean, 
God, I'm like trying to. I'm no, like, totally I think like that's good, man. You made, you made great choices. I mean, you haven't set a band. I, I, I'm like, I'm like I appreciate. I, I, I'm like literally. I could play some of the most random. I used to listen to every indie band I could get my hands on because I'd pitch them on music videos back in the day. So yeah, of course, I yeah. knew the most like random Kickstarter or not Kickstarter. Sorry, the most random like Craigslist video or like bands and stuff like that. And you know, it was fun. It was fun just to be in that day where I mean, you'd honestly cold MySpace email them. It was like, hey, this is me on MySpace. Your band's awesome. Let's make a video. <laughs> I remember those days. Uh, all yeah. right, man. Well, we, we did like an hour here. I think we did good. We went, we wanted twenty minutes. We got an hour. I think we did. I think that's good. <laughs> Perfect. I'm like, as I said, hopefully I didn't ramble too much. Oh, I apologize. No. I was trying. I was trying to make sure I like reset the question or at least tried to make it stand on its own versus you know just just going from there kind of thing. Oh, no, you did perfectly fine. Don't even worry about it, man. I'm, I'm happy that you could do this, and I wish you the best of luck with the Kickstarter. And I, I know I hope, I hope you have a great weekend even. I mean, it's Thursday we're recording this. This will come out next week. So, it, you know, the Kickstarter is still new. People need to go out and support it. And they can reach you on all those social media accounts if they have questions, right? Perfect. Yep. There we Myself go. Myself and the marketing guy are the, are the people behind it. As I said, it's just four of us right now. So you get to get right to me. There's no, there's no two or three layers of buffer. <laughs> There you go, man. All right. Well, you have a great day. Thanks so much. You too. Take care.